Listener Production. Hello and welcome to The Briefing. Tom Tilly with you, joined by Katrina Blowers. And today we're checking on the deadly protests in Iran, which are still going two months since they began. Deadly protests have erupted in Iran following the suspicious death of a young woman in police custody. It's estimated that since those protests began, more than 300 people have been killed as authorities crack down on the protesters. So we're going to find out what's been happening in Iran today when we interview Kylie Moore-Gilbert. She's the Australian academic who was locked up there for more than 800 days. The Iranian people know that the price of freedom is unfortunately going to be paid in the blood of the protesters. That's Kylie Moore-Gilbert in this episode of The Briefing. First, the big news headlines of the day. It is Tuesday, the 22nd of November. A massive earthquake has killed more than 160 people in Indonesia. A lot of houses were destroyed in the villages. A lot of roads were cut off. We are still waiting for data on that. So the epicentre of this earthquake, a magnitude 5.6, was about 100 kilometres south of Jakarta, but it was so strong that it was still felt in Jakarta where high-rises swayed and some people there were evacuated. Rescue teams are now sifting through the debris. They're looking for survivors and they expect that death toll to rise. And just looking at the pictures, Tom, Mm. you know, some of those buildings just look like toothpicks. Uh, And I think that's because a lot of those buildings, the the infrastructure wasn't that fantastic to begin with. So, Mm. yeah, really sad for anyone who was inside any of them. And a NASA capsule has returned to the moon for the first time since the 70s. The Orion capsule travelled around the far side of the moon overnight, hovering over the lunar surface, 370,000 k's from Earth. This manoeuvre was first done during Apollo 8 on Christmas Eve 54 years ago. How about that? That's NASA mission control commentator Sandra Jones. NASA expects astronauts to step back onto the moon's surface as soon as 2025. I love how it's taken so, so long to get to mm. this point, but it feels like we're in this really rapid age of space exploration right now. Well, yeah, because they're saying by the end of the decade, so 2030, they're going to have astronauts living and working on the moon for extended periods. So that's pretty exciting. And then that apparently is the stepping stone to living on Mars. Would you want to live on the moon? I I think it would be quite, I don't know, it'd be cool, obviously, to see Earth from that perspective. But living on the moon, I don't know what the period of time is that they're talking about uh, astronauts being able to collect that data and living on those hubs. Yeah, I think it would take a very special kind of person. (laughs) I was thinking about it last night, um, talking to Amanda and Max. I was like, Max, well, we might be going to the moon one day. Might be, you know, a bit of a holiday. As long as it's safe, why not? A commission of inquiry has found systemic racism, sexism and misogyny in the Queensland Police Service and it's blamed a failure of leadership. So the inquiry heard women had been assaulted and harassed online and in person by senior colleagues with more than 800 victims sharing their experiences. It resulted in 78 damning recommendations. The report is a very, very difficult read and presents many examples where we should have done better for our community and for our own people. 
That's the voice of Police Commissioner Katerina Carroll there, the Queensland Police Commissioner. So, Tom, I guess what has left a lot of people scratching their heads here in Queensland is that the report was pretty clear that it was a failure of leadership. Katerina Carroll herself in a press conference yesterday, she was quite teary. She said she had tried to go to the Premier a few days ago and hand in her resignation, Mm. but the Queensland Premier refused to take it. She said she was the only person that she trusted to uh, navigate the pathway through this change. So a bit of a weird one there and I guess a bit to unpack mm. over the next little while. But they, you know, they've brought in a consultant, which happens a lot. Uh, the NRL did the same thing, you know, and they were found to have issues with uh, the way that they treated women and also with Indigenous players. So they've brought in this woman who has implemented change uh, in the military. Um, so we'll see, I guess, what kinds of things she does because it does need a big shake-up. And more wild weather on the east coast. So Victorians are freezing while the north swelters with fire bans. You've got temperatures 5 to 15 degrees below average across the southeast. At the Melbourne airport, um, the temperature said 5 degrees, but the feels-like temperature was actually minus 7. There's snow in Tasmania and the high country in Victoria and southern New South Wales. Meanwhile, uh, in a land of extremes, Brisbane and the Gold Coast are experiencing temps in the mid-30s. Well, it will get to 40 degrees in Queensland's north for much of this week. And in the flood-ravaged towns of rural New South Wales, the Lachlan River has now peaked around Forbes and Condobolin, but the water is still heading um, towards towns downstream from there. And there's certainly no dull moments at the Football World Cup so far. The Iranian team have made a strong statement of support for the protesters back home. First, their captain voiced their support in a press conference. We have to perform and score some goals to present the brave people of Iran with a result. I hope conditions change as to the expectations of the people. And so after the captain said that, the team then came out and while the national anthem was playing, they took a knee and refused to sing it. Um, That was in their game against England, which they went on to lose uh, 6-2. But England had their own controversy, Katrina. Yeah, so along with six other teams, they've been forced to abandon plans to wear One Love Rainbow armbands, which were supposed to highlight the treatment of LGBTQ communities in Qatar, where, of course, homosexuality is illegal. Yeah, so they've had to back down because FIFA announced that the captain of any team wearing the armbands would be suspended from playing. So England and six other teams had to not wear those armbands. So... Um, very interesting that they, they were forced to back down so publicly just before the game started. It's almost like the Manly Seagulls pride jersey controversy, but on the world stage. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. But I guess when you've got the FIFA president who, you know, demonstrated just the other day with that super weird speech, how incredibly obtuse and out of touch he is. You know, they say culture comes from the top and it doesn't mm. look like a particularly great one at FIFA right now. Yeah. And really interesting to hear about the Iranian football team. That's a very bold statement for them to step out in public like Mm. that. They'll have to go home after this uh, World Cup, some of them at least, and, and face some of the music from such a tough regime, which we're about to learn a lot more about.
All right, let's get into our briefing topic on the biggest show of civil unrest in Iran for years. This was all sparked in mid-September by the death of a 22-year-old woman in custody. Her name was Masa Amini. She was rounded up by the morality police for failing to wear her headscarf properly and she then died in police custody. So since then, there's been a huge wave of public demonstrations with Iranian women burning their hijabs and cutting their hair. Authorities have cracked down hard in response and hundreds of people have been killed. One NGO called Iran Human Rights, which is based in Norway, estimates that at least 378 people, including 47 children and 27 women, have been killed so far. That's so many people, so many senseless deaths, including the kids. Uh, So let's find out more with Dr Kylie Moore-Gilbert, who was imprisoned in Iran for more than two years on a charge of espionage after she visited the country to attend an academic conference. She came home two years ago. Kylie, thank you so much for joining us on The Briefing. What's happened since those initial protests in response to Masha Amini's death? So the protests have only really escalated since Masha Amini's death. Despite extreme repression, violence, the killings of more than 300 innocent people, including more than 50 children, the regime has not succeeded in scaring people back into their homes. And in fact, with every protest that is being killed, more people seem to come to the streets. So we've actually seen an increase in the number of people protesting in Iran in the more than two months since Mahz Amini's death. So what are we hearing about the nature of these protests? I mean, you just mentioned then that that children have been killed as well. So is it children? Is it families? What do you know about what's actually happening on the ground? It's very much become a society-wide phenomenon now. We're seeing huge protests in ethnic minority dominated regions of Iran like Baluchistan and Kurdistan. We're seeing sizable numbers of high school children in particular participating. You know, there's very inspirational videos of, of young schoolgirls in their school uniforms shouting down regime officials who've come to preach morality at them. We've also seen, sadly, quite a large number of boys and girls who are still in school being shot in the streets or, or killed for going out to protest alongside older protesters. So what would it look like if you were in Iran right now? Would it be unmissable, say, like, you know, during the Arab Spring in Egypt where everyone was in Tahir Square protesting? Or are these more sporadic, smaller breakouts of protest and and reaction from local authorities? I think it would be pretty unmissable. It's widespread throughout the country in every province, in every city. The videos and images that are coming out of Iran show street clashes between protesters and security forces. Protesters erecting barriers down main thoroughfares, throwing objects at security forces, security forces firing indiscriminately, using tear gas and and other methods as well as live bullets. Iranians are now saying that this is the beginning of a revolution. They're calling it a revolution and they're using that word very deliberately. I just can't get my head around the extent of the bravery, particularly for high school students to be putting themselves forward in such extraordinary circumstances. I mean, you must be hearing some incredible stories. Yeah, the high school students and the youth in general are really the main drivers of this now. And only a few days ago, a 10-year-old boy was killed and his funeral was held yesterday um, where all of his classmates from primary school attended and were, were crying over his grave. And that kind of went viral on Iranian social media. 
these acts of inspirational bravery by high school students really are fueling people's anger. They're, they're now using slogans in the street, calling the regime a, a child-killing dictatorship and saying that they will, will never surrender to child killers. And this has become some of the main refrains in the past couple of weeks of the protesters. So, Kylie, what's your connection to Iran now and, and where do you get your information from um, throughout your journey of being in prison and, and leaving since and continuing to be uh, a critical voice against the Iranian regime? Who are you connected to? Where do you get your information from and how do you see your, your relationship to the country? Oh, my relationship to the country is very complex, as I imagine you know, you'd, you'd probably expect. Mm. You know, I was in prison there and I have many friends there who are some of which are still in prison today. And I care deeply about what happens to Iran. I feel a strong connection to Iran as a result of that. I'm getting my information largely from the same sources as everyone else, which is social media, you know, Iranian Farsi language, social media in particular. I also have some people that I know within the country who, you know, message me from time to time. But it is very difficult to have contact with some of these people because the regime is continually shutting down the internet. And it's also very unsafe for a lot of the protesters and and others in Iran to directly be in touch with people outside the country. I have been really impressed with the level of organisation of of the campaign on social media here in Australia. I've received so many messages as a journalist from people telling me about different protests that are happening around the country. I've also heard some disturbing reports from people involved in those protests, Australians saying that they believe that they're under surveillance and that they've received threatening messages. Uh, What have you heard about that? I've definitely seen evidence of that. And I know people who have told me Iranian Australians in our community here that have told me that people have been taking pictures of them at protests and then their family members back home in Iran have got a phone call or a visit from security services specifically asking about the activities of their Australian relations and threatening them over that and saying, you know, you you shut down your sister or your or your niece in Australia or we'll put you in danger here in Iran. So it is very, very concerning. I myself have had uh, one of my events at least monitored by suspicious looking Iranian individuals. So Australia really needs to take this seriously because it is happening here in our backyard as well. So Kylie, last week there was some very shocking and sensational information getting around that turned out to be inaccurate. Um, people who listened to the briefing might have seen this in in their feeds, there was a a graphic or what you'd call a meme saying that 15,000 protesters had been given the death sentence. Even Justin Trudeau, the Canadian Prime Minister, reposted that. He he then pulled that down. What happened there and what's the real story? So 15,000 protesters have been arrested and either just going on trial now or awaiting trial. And most of them would be theoretically up for the death penalty as a potential sentence. A handful of protesters have already received the death penalty in the courts, but nowhere near the the 15,000 quoted um, in that figure. So it was misinfo, but it was believed by so many people because it is actually plausible and these protesters are theoretically up for the death penalty. So the regime has a history of of carrying out death sentences and of mass killings of of political dissidents, particularly in the 1980s. It is within the bounds of possibility. And I guess for that reason, the, the disinfo spread so far so quickly. 
You've studied revolutions in the Middle East. Given what history has told us about uprisings in Iran over the decades, where do you see this situation going? I think it's not going away anytime soon and it very, very possibly could become a revolution. The 1979 revolution in Iran took around a year to come to fruition. These things don't happen quickly. Comparisons to the Arab Spring, I think, are very inaccurate. Iran is a very, very different country from the Arab world. And the the kind of dictatorship that's been in power in Iran is very, very different from these Arab Republican often military-led dictatorships that we saw in the Arab Spring. It's more useful to look at Iran's history of of revolution because they've had two prior to this one um, than it is to look at neighbouring countries. And I just don't see how the regime can come back from this. Certainly, if the regime manages to re-establish its control somehow over the populace, there will be big changes as a result. I can't see them imposing hijab whole scale on the entire female population again, like they did prior, for instance. So there's going to be big changes regardless. But I really hope and I'm really optimistic that this could become something bigger and that the, the protesters might actually succeed in overthrowing this brutal, tyrannical regime. Would a lot more people have to die for that to happen? Unfortunately, I think this regime isn't going to go anywhere without extreme violence. And there are factions within it, like the Revolutionary Guards, whose entire reason for existence is to defend this regime to the death. So unfortunately, I think the Iranian people know that the price of freedom is unfortunately going to be paid in the blood of the protesters. Oh, it's so grim. What will your relationship be going forward, Kylie? Is this just something you can't look away from or are you are you actively working in this space or how will that sort of change for you? It is something I can't look away from. Um, it's probably a little bit unhealthy at times. Mm. It's sort of very much drawn me back into that headspace of, you know, when I was living in Iran, when I was in prison and... I mean, I I am trying to, I guess, put up some psychological boundaries here, but um, I'm in touch with a lot of Iranian Australians and I'm working behind the scenes with them in their advocacy, particularly toward the Australian government. There's a lot of activism happening behind the scenes right now with not just the, the government, but opposition MPs, TL MPs, basically anyone who will listen. You know, the Iranian Australian community has been very, very proactive and on the front foot on this because of Australia's tepid response so far to the protests. And we've had a, a huge protest movement within Australia with protests in every city in the country on an almost weekly basis now for the past two months. So there is a lot of activism happening here and, and I am involved in it, although I, I do have to, I guess, try and maintain a bit of a healthy distance mm. at times as well. What would you ideally want the Australian government to do and what difference would it make? We would want the Australian government to follow its allies, its Western allies like Canada, the US, the EU, Germany, etc., by actually imposing meaningful sanctions, including Magnitsky sanctions, on Iranian officials and organisations that are on the streets right now shooting innocent children and, you know, clamping down on, on these peaceful protesters' freedom of expression. We want the Islamic Revolutionary Guard called the IRGC to be listed as a terror organization because it is. And we've listed a lot of its proxies as terror organizations like Hezbollah and, and Hamas, but we haven't listed the the mothership, the, the, the people who are funding all of these other groups. And they are also the ones who are you know, responsible for the, the worst excesses of the crackdown right now within Iran, as well as terrorism outside of Iran's borders. 
we would like to see Australia's economic and, and trade relationship with Iran reevaluated. Just as we're standing up for Ukraine right now, we need to stand up for Iranians. And the government, all they've done is a few empty statements of condemnation and some rhetoric. That's not good enough. We are really lagging behind our Western allies in sanctioning and, and putting other um, disincentives on the Iranian regime. And we need to sort of step up and stand by our values. That was Dr. Carly Moore-Gilbert, a very difficult situation for her to be in. You can mm. really hear how much she she loves the country mm. despite everything that she's been through. Yeah, really difficult one for her and a very extremely difficult situation for people there. I mean, it just seems there's no peaceful way out of this. Mm. If they stand up to the regime or, you know achieve the aim of overthrowing it, it won't happen without a lot more bloodshed. But the alternative is accepting a status quo where a young woman can be killed for breaking the hijab laws, which is also horrific. And I just can't get over the bravery, especially Mm. of young people. My goodness, my heart really goes out to all of those people who are literally putting their lives on the line for what they believe in. Tomorrow on The Briefing, a deep dive on the Queensland Police Misogyny and Sexism Inquiry. Listener.